If you have a Bible with you, perhaps you could turn to the book of Matthew for me. We're going to continue our conversations around the parables of Jesus. Jesus speaking to his disciples in the midst of a move of the Spirit. God is doing great things on the earth. And they have all kinds of questions. Is it true that we really do need to be better equipped to ask questions in this hour, would you think? See, I think allegations we're probably guilty of. We accuse God of all kinds of things. But actually, God loves questions. He loves to answer questions. And he even puts some questions in our hearts. So we must never be frightened of questions. So we're picking up the story in Matthew chapter 13. But just to give you a little bit of background to why this is probably important for us, I believe as a church that God is posturing us for a move of the Spirit that's going to take in a phenomenal way. And I would love us to be as ready as connected, as engaged, and as prepared as possible for all that God wants to do here on the earth. And I want to highlight to you that in case you think that hasn't happened, is there anyone here this morning who has become a Christian? Some of us are a little unsure of the question. Not a good sign for a Sunday morning, afternoon. Is there anybody here today who's become a Christian? Put your hand up if you think you're a Christian. Okay, Some of you are not too sure, and that is alarming because you're on the ministry team, but (laughs) is is there anyone here who's a Christian this morning? Well, we've got a few in the house. Let's welcome them. It's nice to have you with us this morning, Christians. Um, How did that happen to you except that God moved in your life? How did you become a Christian? Was it your huge intellect theologically? Was it your majestic intentionality to seek out God? I don't think any of those could be true. What really is true is that the kingdom has come to live inside of you. And the king of that kingdom, Jesus, has reached into your world. He has touched your life. And here's the truth. You can never be the same again. So you are a representation and a reflection today of God moving on the earth. Now let me go a little deeper. Is there anyone here whose life has been changed since that first encounter with Jesus. Give me a wave if that's you. Anybody nicer than you used to be? Anybody kinder than you used to be? Oh, a lot lot of kind people in today. We've got some miserable ones in too. We've got some kind ones. Is is, Is there anybody less down than you used to be? Anybody less negative? One. One person is less negative. What about this? Has, have you found that your heart is a little freer than it used to be? Yeah, when I came into the kingdom of God, or rather when the kingdom of God came to me, I was, a, I was a mess. You know, I had all kinds of belief systems, all kinds of experiences. I was broken and fractured and terribly needy. And uh, I used to spend most of my time, whenever I first became a Christian, crying. Not just because of my own weakness, but because I could not believe that God could love me so. And through those love encounters with him, he began to bring healing, began to bring restoration. And you know, here I am 33 years later, and I'm three times the man I used to be physically. But spiritually, I have grown extensively. I have a hunger for God's presence. I love the presence of God. I don't know if you've noticed that about me. I love it when the spirit moves, when people are gathered. I love watching lives change. I love it when God moves in a person's soul and suddenly everything seems to be different for them. I mean, their circumstances may be the same, but the way they live is very different. 
I love the kingdom of God. And I highlight that to you because sometimes when we think of God moving, we're thinking of these great outpourings of his spirit. But church, I want to suggest to you today, there's already been an outpouring in your life. The spirit of God is at work. He is alive and the kingdom has come to you and it's coming through you and affecting the world around you. So we are a people who are already in a move of God. Has God moved? Amen. Amen. Talk to me. Has he moved, church? Amen. Amen. Is he still moving? Even though at times you don't always recognize what he's doing or understand fully what he's up to, God never sleeps and he never slumbers. He's at work in your life and he's fashioning you the glorious and most profound reality of Jesus. And as you open your life up to Jesus, you start to change. You start to be transformed. God is working in you. God is changing you. And the reason for that, let me highlight the reason for that. Not just that you have a better life. Jesus didn't come into this world to make you nice. He came in this world so that he could make you whole. Jesus didn't come into this world so he could fix you. Some people tell you God wants to fix you. Jesus came into this world so he could find you. Underneath all of the chaos and the experiences and the difficulties of life, your truest, most God-given identity exists. And the Spirit is at work in your life. The kingdom is at work in your life to uncover your greatness. Three of us are happy about that. To uncover your truest identity. To give you the most incredible sense of, of, of God and you in relationship together until such a time as God begins to use you. Now the good thing about this kingdom is that it's not just changing you. But in you and through you it has the capacity to change everything around you. Have you noticed that you can't keep this spirituality to yourself? Anybody here when you first became a Christian just couldn't stop talking about Jesus? How are you doing with that today? Sometimes if we're not careful, some of those initial experiences of God can become very familiar and we stop sharing the good news of Jesus with people around us. But actually you are a visible, tangible evidence that God is moving in the earth today. He's moving in lives. You are a walking resurrection story of the power of Jesus and that power has been given to you and is in you, not just to change you, which is good, and maybe you need changing, I know I did and do, but to change the world around you. His kingdom has come in you so that his kingdom can come through you. And Jesus is speaking in to this issue to the disciples who have started to get some questions around why things aren't happening quite the way they expected them to. Now, can I ask you a quick question because I like to keep things real. Is there anybody here who thinks occasionally, God, if only you would do it my way, it would be better? (laughs) Give me a wave if that's you. Up in the balcony. How many of us would think, I can't imagine, God, how this can turn out for good? Has anybody ever had that question? Have you ever been in a circumstance or a situation and you can't see a way? And then you look back over your life and you realize that he made a way where there was no way? Have you recognized, like I have, that you don't think like him? Some of you aren't sure about that. Have you recognized that you don't know what he knows? That you're still struggling to come to terms with what he's doing? Of course you are, because we're human. But God is at work in you. He's working through you. And he's starting to change the world around you. And the disciples come to Jesus and they're asking all these questions. If this is truly your kingdom, then why hasn't the Roman Empire been overturned? 
Don't you ever pray that prayer? God, if you truly are alive on the earth, why haven't you stopped drug, drug trafficking in the city of London? Yes? Have you ever looked at the news and thought, God, if you're truly as powerful as you say you are, why don't you stop that from happening there to those innocent people who are victimized by a circumstance? Has anybody ever prayed those prayers? Sometimes I think we turn on the news and we don't know how to pray because there's so much happening around us. If we're not careful, we can allow that to begin to destroy any hope we have in our hearts. But greater is he who is in you than anything that you face in this world. And so the disciples come with similar questions to you and I. Jesus, if you are all that you say you are, then why do the Pharisees and the scribes not like you? In the Gospel of Matthew, we start to see that from the outside right into the core of its actual literature, Jesus is painting for us a story and a picture of us of God working and moving on the earth. And in Matthew chapter 12, the disciples come to Jesus and they recognize that the Pharisees and the scribes do not like what Jesus is doing. Do you know there are still a lot of religious people in the world who don't like what Jesus is doing? Have you met any of them? Are you, are you one of them? You know, sometimes, I just had to ask, sometimes religious people just don't like what Jesus is doing. Right at the end of Matthew chapter 12, we start to see that not only the Pharisees and the scribes are questioning whether Jesus is who he says he is and he's doing what he promised he would do, but his family start to be critical of him. They start to wonder if he has some kind of mental disorder or he's, you know, emotionally not well or there's something going on in his life. Has anybody ever had that experience with your family? You know, when you first became a Christian, did your family think that you, you got religion? My mother used to say to me, you know, all oh, they're brainwashing you in that church. All they're after is your money. Well, that was a quick and easy fix. I didn't have any money, so they couldn't get it. And, and then she would say to me, oh, they just want to brainwash you. But you know, eventually I had to say to her, mom, that's good because I need my brainwashing. My brain has got all kinds of things going on in it that need cleaning up. Amen. Sometimes when you're a Christian and you're born again and your life is walking with Jesus and the kingdom is come and is coming in you and God's doing all, people think you're crazy. I think you're crazy. I think you're crazy. Sing it with me, sing it with me. So what do we learn from that? We learn that when Jesus is moving in the earth, also, other things are moving in the earth too. When God begins to move in a human heart, the devil begins to move against a human life. In the same story of God moving in power, there's an enemy that's coming to steal and to destroy what God is seeking to do. And any time God begins to move, religion rises to the surface. Amen? If God was to turn up today and we all got filled with the Holy Spirit, somebody would be offended. The same Holy Spirit we've been praying for in our worship to move in power will cause our hearts to be exposed. And the bitterness that we feel inside or the resentment or the, the lack will come to the surface and we'll make a judgment on what God is or isn't doing. So when God begins to move in power, religion begins to move against what God wants to do. And what is religion? Religion holds people. Jesus sets people free. Religion confines and Jesus brings freedom to the captive heart. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Religion will take the joy out of your existence and Jesus came to give you joy in all its fullness. 
you will notice very clearly what is religious and what is Christ. Where Christ is, there is fullness and blessing and joy and freedom. Where religion is, there is disappointment and bitterness and judgment. Shall I keep going? So when God begins to move, and this is what Jesus is trying to teach his disciples, religion begins to move, but also the devil begins to move. How many times have you come to a conference and you've gone home and you're really blessed? Anybody ever blessed from a conference? You're going to change the world and you haven't even left the room. God, I'm going to give this. I'm going to pour out myself on your kingdom and you get as far as the car park and somebody upsets you. And suddenly everything that you promised is finished. Who is that? What is that? It is God moving in you and the devil moving against you. And Jesus is trying to highlight to his disciples any time where there's a move of God, where God is bringing his kingdom and changing human hearts and restoring human dignity and opening up the kingdom of joy and peace and fullness, religion will be right there, seeking and crouching at the door of those endeavors to stop the fullness of the kingdom coming to pass. And the devil will use religion and other things to stop people from moving forward. A few weeks ago, someone came to the front and we prayed for them and they had the most terrible week of their life. And she came to me at the end of the service. She said, I'm never coming out for prayer again. I thought, well, I prayed for her. I didn't think it was that bad. And she said, I've had the worst week of my life. And I looked at her in the face and I said, that's the best news I've had. And she had that puzzled expression like a Labrador, not quite understanding how to respond to the moment. I said, the fact that you've had a terrible week means that God has given you something amazing. Do not be disheartened when the enemy comes in like a flood. Lift up the standard, the righteousness of Christ. God is good. He's with you. He's for you. No weapon fashioned against you can prosper. It's in moments like that that we have to overcome our feelings and our, and our sense of, of, of soulishness and start to walk in faith. He who began a good work in you on Sunday is still working in you on Monday. And Tuesday. And he's really working you in Wednesday because we have the prayer meeting. And by Thursday, things have slacked off. No, no, no. God is consistently at work in you, his wonders to perform, producing Christ-like reality for you in your day-to-day -day existence. Someone say amen. amen. So in a move of God, when God begins to move, when the kingdom comes, religion rises, the enemy comes to steal, and the people of God have choices to make as to whether or not this kingdom is real, whether it's powerful enough, whether it's effectual enough. And Jesus begins to tell these parables to try and help his disciples understand that these are not things that should concern them. These are just patterns of behavior whenever the spirit begins to move on the earth. Let's look at it together. Matthew chapter 13. We're going to read from 31 to 33 together. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. 34. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter hidden things since the creation of the world. So here's what we know about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has come in you. Amen? Amen. 
The kingdom of God is unstoppable in your life. Now, in spite of your best attempts to stop God having his way, is there anybody who has rebellious moments, seasons, weeks, or generations? I'm just checking. Anybody? Who's not worked with the program? Come on, put your hand in the air. See, if we're really honest, we have resisted the kingdom. Have you? I know I have at times. There are times when I want to work with it, but there are times when I'm resisting it. Have you ever been challenged when the Lord's asked you to forgive someone and you've held on to that unforgiveness for a substantial period of time? You see, here's the truth about unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is not letting somebody off the hook. Unforgiveness is letting me off somebody else's hook. It's really good for me to forgive. In fact, without it, my soul will start to become impoverished. My life will become smaller. My mind will become judgmental. It's really good for me to be free from any unforgiveness that exists in my heart towards another person because I'm let off their hook. You know how it works, don't you? You haven't seen them for 20 years. They did something terribly wrong to you 20 years ago and suddenly you meet them and the world stops. The room becomes silent and they're the only person in the room. Why? Because for 20 years you have been hanging on to something that should have been given to them and they don't deserve it, that's probably true, should have been given to them a gift they didn't deserve, should have been given them many years ago. They still have power over the way you think and the way you act and the way you operate. God doesn't want anything to have power over you. He wants you to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. So the kingdom has come, and if we worked with that kingdom, we'd be a lot further on. God has subjected the advances of his kingdom to the partnerships he has with us. That's why when we worship, we position ourselves for increase. Amen? When we listen to his word and we start to live out his word, we start to move forward in our lives. His kingdom becomes visible and tangible and powerful to us. The psalmist David says these words, I have hidden your word in my heart. In other words, this kingdom that has come into my life actually affects the way I think and it affects the way I live. And I'm working with your kingdom to see it transform everything in me and consequently everything through me. So the kingdom of God is here. God is at work in us. Amen. God is at work for us. And we work with him in partnership to see his kingdom come and his will be done in and through our lives until the world is infected with his glory. And although the kingdom has come in you, it's not in its fullness just yet. How many of us know that there's more for us to experience in the kingdom of God? Is there anybody here who would like some more? Is this a church where more is at the center of our thoughts and prayers? Who would like more? You see, if you're not looking for more of God, this probably isn't a good fit for you. Because this church is all about the more of God. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has it entered into the heart of mine what God has prepared for those who love him. We know that there's more. We crave more. We pray for more. We worship because we want to experience more. We witness because we want to see him work through us more. This is a more orientated church. So the kingdom has come in Jesus, Jesus has come in you, and his kingdom is working in you, but there's so much more for us to experience. This kingdom is a kingdom that causes us to be people of relentless hope. You see, in spite of all that happens around us, we know that the God inside of us has capacity to change everything for us. Amen? 
the kingdom I'm speaking of is pervasive and expansive. And that means that it's growing steadily, increasingly, influencing all kinds of things in me and indeed influencing things around me. Now let's read the text together again. He told another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, it grew into a mighty tree and the birds of the air came to live in it. What is Jesus talking about? Well, the first thing I need to highlight to you is that for us, this is probably a very familiar parable. Has anybody heard this before? But to those who are listening in the context of when it's written and when it was spoken, actually, this is quite shocking. It's very shocking for them to hear that this kingdom that Jesus brought and ushered and and produced and opened up for them is, in, is indeed likened to that of a mustard seed. Why? Because in Jewish and Hebraic culture, the mustard seed was an offensive thing. It was an unclean seed. No one who was a true Hebrew would actually sow mustard seeds into their land. It was deemed an unclean seed. And so Jesus is saying something quite shocking to these people. He's saying the kingdom of God will have with it and attached to it all kinds of things that will be offensive to your sensitivities. God is going to move in something and through something that actually will start to create some problems for you. Now, can I just say this to you, church, and I say this with all my heart. How many of us would like God to move in power? But how many of us would like to keep our favorite seat in the church? How many of us want to do Christianity on our own terms? You see, when God begins to move in power, it disrupts everything. It's not business as usual. It's unusual business. Because God seems to gather people to a move of the Spirit that perhaps we wouldn't feel that comfortable with. God will begin to connect with people who perhaps don't fit into our demographic or or sensitivity or religiosity. God will start to disrupt all kinds of things. And I think if I'm honest, I think sometimes we're just a little too comfortable for a move of God. We're just a little bit comfortable with our lives, so much so that we absolutely at times resist God moving in power. So when Jesus likens the kingdom to something that the law forbids, he catches their attention. It's Jesus saying, this kingdom that has come is disruptive. Do not think that you're going to enjoy everything about it. Some things about it will be highly offensive to you. Your mind may be offended by this kingdom. Your heart may be be exposed by this kingdom. God is doing something new. The old may have to go so that you can embrace the fullness of this kingdom. Jesus is saying that this kingdom will change everything. Now, when I first became a Christian, I remember going along to a church like this, and I didn't look like I do now. I had a 24-inch waist, spray-on leather clothes, and hair that was back combed to about three feet off my head. I was a new romantic. Does anybody remember the 80s? No? Some of you look if you remember the 50s. I'm not saying anything. But, but I came to church dressed the way I would dress to go out. I put on my best clothes. They cost me thousands of pounds, to be fair. But I turned up at a hat-wearing, trombone-pink, Pentecostal church where all the ladies wore hats and the men called you brother. So I turn up in my, my, my kind of outfit, 
my clothes, and people just didn't know what to do with me. They didn't know where to put me. They didn't know what to say to me. They would shake hands with me at arm's length. And then if anybody hugged me, they'd do those hip avoidance hugs. You know. But you know, it, it was the whole kind of, okay, nice to see you, brother. <laughs> I must be honest with you, didn't send out good signals. Clearly, I was slightly unusual. For some, maybe unclean. <laughs> when God begins to move on the earth, He begins to move in people's hearts. We need to pay attention to that because sometimes we think the external thing is more important than the internal thing. God will bring people into our midst that we would never choose to hang out with. That's really good for you and for me because there's things, some things about you that they might help God change in you. God will allow people to turn up who don't do it the way we do it. They don't say it the way we say it. They don't like it the way we like it. But God has brought them by his kingdom through the planting of a mustard seed in their lives and they've come amongst us to disrupt everything so that the kingdom can start to flourish. You see, we're sitting here today praying for people outside to come to faith and actually if they were to come in here today, we might struggle with some of them. Some of them might be slightly inebriated. Some of you wish you were slightly inebriated. Jealousy can set in, judgments follow quickly. We start to judge people by the externals, but the kingdom of heaven is not about externals. It's about internal reality. When I turned up in my church, my heart was so in love with Jesus, it didn't matter to me that people did this when they hugged me or shook my hand from a distance because I knew that this was the family of God I was supposed to be in. And thank the Lord that what was happening in me was greater than it was happening around me, and I stayed. I'm quite shocked that I stayed. Some people moved away from me when I sat next to them. Strangely enough, some people moved nearer to me when I sat next to them. Just because it was the church doesn't make it perfect. This is a reminder to these people that their idea of who God chooses and how God chooses to move actually when God moves in power on the earth actually gets a little bit disruptive. Here's why. Because the kingdom comes in unexpected places. You see, I've led people to Jesus in nightclubs. When I first got saved, I used to carry on singing in the nightclubs. And I led people to Jesus in nightclubs. I led people to Jesus in nightclubs in this city before I ever knew that I would come here. People who wouldn't come to a building like this wouldn't engage in a conversation about Jesus with me. But actually, when I worked with them in the theatrical world, many, many times we'd go out celebrating after the gig and, and I'd talk to them about Jesus. God turns up in unlikely places. You see, we think that he's restricted to the church, but he's everywhere. God moves everywhere in and through our lives to affect people for good in your workplace, in your community. You know, in the school, in the place where you struggle the most, where you're learning some things and you're ostracized for your Christianity, God has a plan and a purpose to move in you and through you in those environments so that his kingdom can come. There is no place beyond the parameters of the kingdom of God. Unexpected places become a reality when we understand how the king chooses to move. How many of us here became a Christian in an unexpected place? Come on, put your hand up. An unexpected place. Is there anybody who became a Christian outside of the church? Anybody become a Christian in a nightclub? Because we want to hang out with you later, if that's you. <laughs> Particularly over carnival weekend. Anybody got saved in somebody's front room? 
Is there anybody saved at all here today? Where did you all get saved? <laughs> who, who got saved inside the church? Let's start with that. Keep your hand up if you got saved inside the church. You came to a meeting, you were invited to something. Keep your hand up. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. Was it an alpha course? Was it a discipleship course? Just an encounter? Okay, now keep your hand up if you believe that getting saved inside the church was the only place that God could reach you. Of course, you know that's not true. But so often, when God begins to move on the earth in powerful ways, He does not usually start to move in the places that we suspect. What if I was to tell you this? That maybe God is moving more outside of the parameters of this building than He is inside. What if God was moving on the streets of London today? We've got... Over a hundred evangelists out on the streets today. Signs and wonders and miracles, healings and transformations are taking place. Are you, are you hearing what I'm saying? God is moving outside of the building. Amen. Isn't that good news? We've been believing for weeks now that we're going to have divine appointments. I know we're going to have so many stories to tell at the end of these two days where God has turned up in the most unlikely, unexpected place. The second thing that we know is that God comes, and when he comes, he chooses unlikely people. Now nudge the person on your right-hand side and say, I think he's really referring to you at this point. (laughs) Definitely you he's talking to. You're an unlikely person. Is there anybody here like me who's slightly shocked you got saved? Come on. I mean, some of us in this room, we're still trying to work through how it happened to us. 33 years ago, God came into my heart. I cried. The Spirit touched me. I was filled with God. And before I knew where I was, I was turning up at places like this. Such was the work of God in me that it started to change everything around me. God chooses unlikely people. And some of the people He will choose, you probably wouldn't choose. And as a pastor, I probably wouldn't choose. They may not be the safest pair of hands in certain places. Dynamics. God comes in expected places. He chooses to come through unlikely people. And his kingdom comes in unusual manifestations. When Jesus begins to speak about the yeast, you know that the yeast, the yeast was forbidden in Jewish culture because they had unleavened bread. What he's trying to say is this is going to shock you. This will surprise you what God does as he opens up this kingdom. Let me tell you a story of an unusual manifestation. In 94-95, a move of the Spirit took place in a tiny little end-of-a-runway church called Toronto, called TACF, Toronto Christian Fellowship. One night, a man came, and he felt very much that God was going to move in power, and he came as a visiting speaker, and the Spirit began to move in this tiny little church. It was about 120 people, and within weeks of that happening, thousands of people came from all over the world to this tiny little church that now was growing extensively called Toronto Airport Church now today. In those meetings were some unusual manifestations. Here's an unusual manifestation for a church. People were happy. You don't, I don't think you heard me. It was an unusual manifestation. The joy of the Lord was so present in those meetings that people would laugh for hours. Anybody up for a little of that unusual manifestation? 
Now, I can see your faces. I think some of you need to ask for that more than others. Come on. Unusual joy, unusual joy. The move of the Spirit was marked with unusual joy. There were also other unusual manifestations. People would shake violently under the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Has anybody ever seen that? That can be a little bit strange to watch, can't it? Particularly somebody you know is very conservative and reserved. I remember in one of the meetings I went to around that time, a lady called Margaret, who's a, a senior lady in our movement, her husband is a regional guy. She was the quietest, most reserved, most conservative person, and she was so drunk in the Holy Spirit, they used to have to carry her out at half 11, 12 o'clock at night. Now, I know that when God is moving, some people are offended by that, but I was mesmerized by that because I know that Margaret wouldn't do this to bring attention to herself. She would do everything in her power to stop it. In fact, here's the problem. Every time she tried to stop it, God would give her more. She would just laugh and just enjoy the presence of God and she'd be so drunk in the Holy Spirit. When she prayed for people, here's another unusual manifestation, people would get gold teeth. Have you ever been in a meeting where God moved and somebody got gold teeth? Now, I know we wouldn't do it for some of us because we'd sell them, wouldn't we? We'd sell them. That's the problem. But for those who wouldn't sell them, God began to move in unusual ways. Is it not his kingdom? Can he not move as he chooses? One lady in the meetings in Toronto flipped upside down on her head for over four hours. She was in ministry. She came from the country that she was ministering in. She'd had very difficult times. Many pastors turned up for the refreshing that was coming. And in this meeting, just minding her own business, she was standing on her feet and she flipped upside down. And I'm not talking a handstand. She stood on her head upright for four hours. That's pretty spectacular, isn't it? And here's the problem, because this move of the Spirit was probably the first where the internet had access to what was happening, everybody was critiquing what was taking place in Toronto. People were concerned about the laughter. Nobody's ever concerned about crying, have you noticed that? They're concerned about the laughter, they're concerned about the joy, they're concerned about the unusual manifestations. Well, you see, I don't mind a manifestation Whenever that person comes away from that manifestation and something happens that's so remarkable in their life, you understand and recognize that could only have been God. This lady went back to the country where she was ministering. Today, she has planted over 30,000 churches. She feeds over 1 million orphans a year. And she's seen the supernatural provision of God repeatedly and overwhelmingly change a whole nation through an encounter she had in Toronto. That lady is Heidi Baker. And the ministry that she's involved with is called Iris. Phenomenal ministry of ministering, healing, wholeness, and blessing. You see, when God begins to move in power, things start to happen that are unusual. Now, here's what we do with that. We end up, if we're not careful, judging. Here's what people say to me through things I've been, that can't be God. Now, to say that can't be God when your knowledge of God is limited is slightly short-sighted. Because is there anybody here in the room who has all the knowledge pertaining to God? Other people started to critique the way the ministry was. I mean, nobody talked about the lives that were changed and the continents that were changed and the people who were transformed. They just talked about people laughing. 
They talked about people having this over-exuberant sense of joy. And as God began to restore many broken lives, restoring their first love, people were critical that this wasn't a serious move of God. Because a serious move of God has to have the beating of our chest in repentance. But how many of us know this, that it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. What God was doing through Toronto was pouring out his kindness in an unexpected place, through an unlikely people with unusual manifestations. Now, let me hold your attention for a minute. It's noisy outside. Out of that move of God, a movement was born called Bethel. Bethel is one of the fastest growing influential spiritual movements on our planet. Another gentleman was sitting in those meetings called Mike Bickle. He went from that place and he went straight back to Kansas where he was ministering and he opened up 24-7 prayer encounters, which to this day, all those years later, that must be 25 years, 24 hours a day, thousands of people gather to seek the heart of God and to pray for the nations. Another man called Joseph, Bishop Joseph Garlington, he came to those meetings and went back to the Word of Faith Church, the Pentecostal Church in America, and God began to move in power. You see, when the kingdom comes, it starts with a mustard seed. It disrupts everything. God uses unlikely people in unexpected places, and he does unusual things through those people. Why? Because the kingdom is unstoppable. What God has started, he will finish. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I could tell you story after story of how God has chosen to move in this way throughout the generations. Every move of God happens with those four key dynamics, unlikely or unexpected places, unusual people, manifestations that really stretch the church, and the kingdom is unstoppable. God begins to do something in and through those people that starts to change everything around those people. Today, we have some questions to ask. How open are you? How open am I to what God wants to do? Is it possible that in this room today, we could have another Heidi Baker who would be prepared to allow the Spirit to do whatever the Spirit wanted to do so that God could work through them to change a, a whole nation? You imagine getting up from an encounter moment in a gathering like this and going back and feeding over one million orphans a year, opening over 100,000 churches. I don't know about you, but I think I might stand on my head if I had those results. The trouble is, it's not something you can do in the natural. It needs to be God moving in a supernatural way. His ways are not our ways. And he chooses people perhaps that we would think would not be the first choice. Do we have any unlikely candidates to carry a move of God in their hearts and through their lives? Anybody thirsty enough? Anybody hungry enough for what God wants to do? Anybody desperate enough to see the Spirit of God move in power? Then you might be the person like a Heidi or a William Seymour in the Azusa Street Revival, that God would just begin to plant a mustard seed inside of you that disrupts everything, that brings a kingdom that's so powerful that people start to be critical. Trust me, where God moves, there will always be criticism by people who are against those things. And whatever God wants to start, he wants to finish, and he loves to finish it well. You know, I think many of us, we romanticize about the idea of an Acts chapter 2 church. But you know, Acts chapter 2 was the baby church. I wonder what the church of the future will look like. 
Here's what it says in the book of Revelation. That those who belong to God in those days will love not their life even unto death. They will overcome by the word of the Lamb, the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. In other words, the work of the Spirit in them will be so profound that it doesn't matter where they're geographically placed. God will move in power in and through them to change everything around them.